now it's time to play it back the podcast all about the songs that have changed your life i'm john asante all right we're back baby after a long hiatus play it back is up and running again we've got a new theme song hope you're enjoying it right now we've got a new logo that you're probably looking at on your phone or on your computer wherever you're listening to this and we got a fresh new episode for you in your feed so you are welcome and welcome to season two. Thank you so much for bearing with me, especially my eight or so friends who listened to season one, or at least told me you did, and wanted more. But for reals, I needed that motivation to get things going again, and I appreciate y'all so much. So if this is your first time listening to Play It Back, welcome. On every episode, I ask music lovers to tell a story of how they discovered one of their favorite songs, and then talk about how that song has impacted their life in some way, shape, or form. What I love about the power of music is that it can change our worldview, it can lift us up when we're feeling down, and it can help guide us when we're feeling a little bit lost. And to kick off this season, I'm getting to the core of that last point with singer-songwriter Sean Amos. He makes his music sort of like a musical gumbo of sorts. He blends together blues, black roots music, R&B, gospel, and rock and roll in a distinctive and soulful and authentic way. Just take a listen to 2017. It's a single inspired by civil rights era protest songs that's on his latest record, The Reverend Sean Amos Breaks It Down. Hate and fear ain't no vaccine. We got to think about what our children's eyes have seen in the year 2017. Now, Sean is a tried and true student of the blues. He loves the genre in and out but he credits The Who for helping him become the person he is today. Yes, The Who, the epic, progressive English arena rock band, one of the key figures in the British invasion in the 1960s. That's what we're talking about here. Every few months, Sean says he listens to Cut My Hair, which is a song off The Who's 1973 rock opera, Quadrophenia. And the album is about a young boy named Jimmy who's on a personal journey of self-worth and importance. And Sean noticed parallels to his life when he discovered that song as a kid. I was growing up in Hollywood, California, and I was running around Courtney Avenue with my friend Alex Reed. And I must have been nine, eight, nine, ten years old around there. I mean, I, I was a preteen. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just discovering I was black. <laughs> 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 and... and um, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with that fact. Interesting. Like, what happened? Like, how are you discovering? You know, just, just, we're, we're getting so far from the song, but it, it's all, it's all good. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, so my parents moved here from New York City, mm-hmm. and they were sort of the the first uh, success stories of of the civil rights movement in a way. You know, I mean, they they they, they migrated out here and they. They were the first black family to live in a white neighborhood, and and my father was in show business, and and so they were able to go places and do things that growing up in the South their parents could not do, mm-hmm. um, and so they were kind of colorless. They aimed to be colorless, as I think a lot of folks in that generation kind of you know wanted to be. It was sort of it was sort of a a sign of, of victory and success that they could not really think or talk about color, right? Even though everyone I think was. Subconsciously, <laughs> right, 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 right. They want to feel. They want to feel equal. Yeah. yeah. And so I lived in these neighborhoods where I was the only black kid, and um, 
and I had no exposure to, I mean, the only exposure I had to black culture was um, the nightclubs and, and the few acts that my father represented when he was a talent agent and a talent manager. Uh-huh. So, so I saw black culture the same way like that white America saw black culture right. on TV or on, in a concert hall or, or in a comedy club. And who is he representing? He was at first he was an agent William Morris agency, and so he represented uh, the Motown acts, and he wrote and and and, uh, and, so- and Solomon Burke and and Simon and Garfunkel who who weren't black, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then he became a personal man and he, and Hugh Masekela who was a South African trumpeter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he moved to Los Angeles, and he had a lot of acts who were sort of you know most of them never went anywhere. The, the, I think probably the most well known artist he managed was a, a comedian named Franklin Ajayi, mm-hmm. uh, who, whose biggest claim to fame was, at the time, he had a, a bit part in the film Car Wash. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a great comedy act, and he performed at the comedy club all the time. I remember being a kid, like, you know, seven years old, you know, falling asleep in the back of the comedy club and listening to Franklin's act, which is not meant for a seven-year-old. Uh, and then he had a, a, a singer named Mississippi Charles Bevel, who was like this, like, sort of, Black Cat Stevens kind of guy or something, and then uh, and then he had another guy named Shadrack. Who, wow. <laughs> so you know these kind of a couple act, couple actors went up, but so you know no one who was a super note, but it was a roster of talent that sort of kept him around. But but he had you know, he he was he was friends with Quincy Jones, and he was friends with you know Marvin Gaye, and he was friends with you know I mean he was part of a relatively small circle of black entertainment executives. It's still a small circle, right? Um, wow. And and so, but so my my exposure to them was like I said, you know, like anyone else, going to a nightclub, going to you know concert. I mean, I had, I had maybe more access because I'm backstage or but, um, and then when I go back to my school, I'd go home, I go to my neighborhood, and there was no one black around. <laughs> and, and and so I, and I never ever ever thought that was unusual, and I, on a conscious level, I just right. you know I probably thought I was white, you know, on on some you know conscious subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Who, <laughs> was, and it's funny about the Who, man, because because uh, can, can I go there? Can I talk about? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's like musical therapy. <laughs> 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 musical therapy, John Asante. <laughs> so um, the Who was the first band that made me realize music could be personal. You know, like I, I loved music always. It was refuge, and it was it was it was. Uh, you know, it was escape, and, and it, was, it was poetry, and it was fantasy, and it was you know all these things that music at its best can be. And I loved music beforehand that was poetic in some way, or had you know turns of phrases that stuck in my head, or music that just made me you know feel horny or you know or, or rowdy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but Pete Townsend was the first songwriter to me who made me realize that wow, music can be really personal, and and that, and when I discovered Quadrophenia, which is the album I cut my hairs from, I mean, I remember I was in Alex Reed's bedroom on Courtney Avenue. It must have been 19, the album came out in 73, but I didn't discover it until probably 75. I'm even later. Yeah, 75, 77, 75. And so I'm sitting on, in Alex Reed's bedroom, and he got it. I don't know where he got it from. And it was the first gatefold album. I ever saw. Nice. And uh, and opened the gatefold and had a thick booklet in it. And this this booklet was, it was basically it was black and white photography. There was very little copy in it, and it was just this sort of expressionistic, you know, grainy, 
you know, not very well saturated, almost like newsprint kind of photos of this guy who was Jimmy the Mod. <laughs> and, and, and it was just this, and it was so British. I mean, the album is so British, and, and the Who are so British. It like nailed th- this um, identity complex I was having. You know, it, it, I didn't know I was having at the time, but I was having it. It nailed this identity complex I was having. It nailed this um this 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 sense again that I couldn't articulate it at the time. I, I couldn't articulate this thing until probably you know twenty years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to articulate it. But it, it was in that album and in that song, it touched this deep seated sense of insecurity I had mm-hmm. and, and this deep sense of not feeling like I belonged but, but couldn't quite understand why. Mm-hmm. Um and and the fact that and that's what the song's about. That's what the story's about. But it's a, it's a mod kid in England who can't, you know, relate <laughs> his popping pills. <laughs> so, um, and, and and that album is such a, um, you know, it, it's like an anthem for you know all sorts of like you know white suburban you know angst kids. I mean, you know, Eddie Vedder like you know swears by that album, swears by town by Townsend, and and all sorts of musicians do. And, and, and it's, it's it's sort of a a rite of passage for a lot of kids. But I felt like. Not a lot of black kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and that was sort of uh the song spoke to me and the fact that the song spoke to me were both interesting to me. There's also a thing too, like a lot of the bands at the time were like rock bands. Like rock was really macho. You know, I mean rock was full of cod pieces and <laughs> and, and a lot of testosterone. And, and musically the who's like really muscular, but it's like Townsend's voice is it's it's feminine, yeah. and it's um, and the riffs at the top are almost kind of they're slight and, and light and, and, and lilting and almost jazz like in a way, and all of a sudden this thing comes up. Suit suit, white <laughs> jacket with side pants, five inches long. I'm out Ooh, I can run the street again, and I'm leaving alone. Just ride for a beach ride, but I just can't explain. And there's so many characters in the thing. It was really romantic. Mm-hmm. And I sort of got me, I wanted to sort of feel in love and sort of long like that for some. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, and he has this broken home, you know, so there's clearly a broken home thing going on. And there's some, my mother found a box of balloons. I didn't even know what that meant. It's pills. Uh-huh. You know, he, he pops pills in right. the song. I didn't know what that meant. But there's this sort of thing like he is getting kicked out of his house in the right. song. And I ultimately ran away like a few years later from home for, for a time. And I, I wasn't on the verge of being kicked out like this guy in this song, but I had a, a really, you know, um, tumultuous sort of home thing going on. Mm-hmm. You know, n- not, not a violent thing, but my mom was really mentally ill. My father was absent. And so I take it that there was some sort of connection between this song and you and your escape from your place, from your house. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, so I, I, I lived in Hollywood, um, I moved to Hawaii uh, about, let's see, when I was in 10th grade. So it would, it would have been like, you know, maybe four years later or so, mm-hmm. you know, four or five years later, I moved to Hawaii. And I, I took this album with me, and this album became my soundtrack then. I mean, this, this album's been my soundtrack <laughs> for like almost my entire life. Wow. And, and, um, and I remember, uh, you know, so lonely in Hawaii, man. You know, it, was, it was like on this island in the middle of the you know, Pacific. Yeah. And, um, and there's a beach, you know, there's a beach theme going through this this uh, this song. Uh, you can hear seagulls 
this is whole like it's, it's a radio play. This song. It's good that we're talking about this on a podcast. It's a radio play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I um, it was good company in my loneliness. It, you know, it, it worked on so many levels. So yeah, the, we talked about this race thing and sort of like this, you know, identity my identity complex, but there's also like the straight up narrative in the song of like this kid's living in a messed up, you know, home environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my thing too. And again, mm-hmm. I think about personal, right? I mean, the songs I listened to up until that point were songs that were, you know, I want to get laid, I want to party, you know, or, I mean, I loved Dylan, you know, I still love Bob Dylan, but mm-hmm. who knows what any of those songs are about. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love, I love that Dylan introduced me to poetry, you know, mm-hmm. and I discovered, you know, Yeats and, 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 and Lord Byron and, you know, and E. Cummings. I, I, I got into poetry because of Dylan. Um, but that doesn't necessarily personal, you know, like right. the, the idea of like personal narrative. And, mm-hmm. you know, let me show you the scene um, that's rich in complexity. Let me show you this character. Let me show you this world that he lives in. Let me um, <clears throat> suggest uh, some some themes uh, of conscious and subconscious issues he's dealing with. I mean, this, there's, there's multiple layers going on. And, and again, I, I, it took me years to unpack it, you know I mean? But it, it just hit me immediately on, on, a, on a lot of levels where I couldn't stop listening to it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, mm-hmm. and, and as I went through my, as I've gone through my life, I mean, I'm 50 now. You know I mean, <laughs> it's a, I've been listening to that song for, you know, 43 years or something. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's incredible that it stuck with you. I hope a song sticks with me for like 40, 50 that's years. That's nuts. Amazing. That's yeah. nuts to say that out loud. So with that personal connection that was built from listening to Cut My Hair and Quadrophenia, like, over, constantly, how did that affect your music career and how you created music? Well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I wanted to be Pete Townsend for so long. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be Pete Townsend. I wanted to have a band like The Who. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be in a rock band that was, um, you know, high-minded and, and literate and, 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 and said things I thought were you know, personal, important, and maybe somewhat, you know, confessional. And, and I spent um, you know, a lot of my time chasing chasing rock music. And there's a point, you know, the identity thing, it, there, there were times when I felt sort of self-conscious about that, you know, like, like, like I was, um, like I missed the 80s, you know, I mean, entirely. I mean, I missed, I missed the new wave piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, missed, I missed a lot of the 90s. I missed, I missed hip-hop the first time it came around. Right. I, I mean, like there's a lot of like, you know, um, a lot of singular, meaningful, amazing cultural stuff that's coming out of black America, you know, in the 80s and 90s that I just completely missed because I was so in this sort of rock <laughs> world. And, and I felt um, like I should have been listening to, you know, Public Enemy at the time. I should have been listening to NWA at the time. I should have mm-hmm. been listening to stuff at the time. And, and I knew it was out there, obviously, but I wasn't like, I didn't own it. You know, it, it didn't own me. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and it got to a point where I sort of realized, it's, remember the band Living Color? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember That's Living a, Color came on the scene. It was such a novelty, right? It was this black rock band. Right. Right? I was like freaking out about that, right? Yeah, and, them. And, and then like, if you think about Bad Brains and, mm-hmm. and thinking back, oh man, like a black hardcore band. Yeah. And but then kind of going back to the to the basis that like rock music was built on blues music, which was created by black people. This is it. And I didn't know. And then that's everything about the the who. I mean, they introduced me to the blues because there there were quotes and we're going to cut my hair. But, you know, they 
I mean, they quoted Sonny Boy Williamson. They, they, you know, they, the, the early song of theirs, I'm the Face, which I play in my shows, uh, was basically a, a ripoff of a Slim Harpo song called Got Love If You Want. I mean, so, I mean, all these bands were obviously into the blues, but, you know, that, they were my entryway in, into that world. So they sort of, in, in, in a sense, brought me back to black culture mm-hmm. and, and brought me back to it, but through a route that was decidedly non-current. So... Uh, through them, I guess I entered into a world of black music that was ultimately the blues, but you know, be, you know Sly Stone, I mean, and, mm-hmm. and Curtis Mayfield yeah. and Marvin Gaye, and, and and music of consciousness and music that was again personal, you know, in, 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 in certain ways, and and all of it old. I mean, you know, it, it all it all occurred before I was of age, you know. Right. So I was I was really listening to anything that was sort of happening at the same time I was. Around, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't really in sync with what the current sort of pop culture thing was, you know, for for a long time, and, and then I realized that at a certain point, it, through other people's eyes, particularly in you know the '90s, that it was kind of odd to them that I liked what I liked. It was kind of odd that I wanted to be a rock musician. Mm-hmm. It, it was, uh, you know, people would meet me and presume. That I was a jazz musician, or I was a, anything other than what I liked, right? right. And, and I think that, and that was a reiteration of cut my hair. It's, it's like I still don't fit in here. Like, what's going, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, my draw towards the blues was really um, an attempt to understand myself and where did I come yeah. from. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've been working hard for a long time to find out where the hell I came from. And the blues is the best answer I've had since The Who. (laughs) (laughs) So the blues somehow led you to figuring out your identity. Yeah, it got, it got me closer to it. And it got me comfortable. It got me comfortable in my own skin, mm-hmm. you know, literally and, and figuratively. And it made me proud. Part of me felt apologetic, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I felt apologetic for not being black enough or, 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 for, or, for, um, you know, or for not knowing enough or, or, for, or for not having enough touch points or, or for any number of things. I was listening to Jay-Z interview. Jay-Z did an interview in New York Times. Oh, yeah, with Deepak. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, interview yeah. was, it was felt really awkward. Yeah, right? it was mixed. I mean, there's, yeah. it was uneven. It was mixed. But I remember yeah. they were talking about sort of the idea of like talking white and what it means. You know, right. And, and, that, and that was a big deal. And I was, I mean, I remember, I mean, it happened a lot. I mean, I, I would talk to people on the phone, show up and meet them, yeah. you know, week, day later, and I could see their, literally like their faces would sort of drop. They, right. they were like shocked you know, that I was black. They presumed that I was white. Right. I mean, over and over and over and over again, you know. And, and um and, and it's funny when I started singing the blues, like I sang differently. You know, and, and, and it wasn't an affectation, you know, um, but it's something like I tapped into something right. that I was unable to access any other way. You know, the cut my hair began the journey of me accessing that. I couldn't quite the song was too multi-layered, and it, and it, it just it, it wasn't it wasn't um, and I was too young when I heard it. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it wasn't clear at the time. Yeah. But but when I the blues and then performing the blues, I accessed something that I have never accessed before, and I can't access any other way. 
Uh, and that's really profound for me. And, and, it's, um, and it's, it's a huge, it's a huge gift. It's a huge gift. And, and I, and so it makes me, you know, proud and fully aware of my blackness in a way that I had not been before. And it makes me understand the, the, the richness and, and the, and the, the broadness of, of our, of our culture and our people. There's a tremendous sense of pride, which is ironic because I first, I remember when I was doing the rock thing and, and then I went into doing like a singer songwriter thing. I made like three, you know, singer songwriter records. And I always felt, you know, I, I, be, I began to study the blues so that I bought, old chess records and I, I drove down to Memphis and yes. I made all the pilgrimages. I mean, you know, so I, was, yeah. I was in this sort of like intellectual space about it, mm-hmm. in this musicologist space about it. Um, but I never was going to perform it because I felt that was too stereotypical. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's like, that's what everyone expects a black guy to do is perform mm-hmm. the blues. Mm-hmm. Like, Fuck that. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to play, you know, rock and roll, whatever. At the time I felt like it would have been a, um, an act of defeat, you know, to, to, to play the blues. Mm. Um, and now it, it, it's the proudest moment, you know, I have when I'm playing that music. Nice. Does Cut My Hair and your feelings toward it creep into your songwriting today? And just even with this album, like, do you feel like it's always with you? Like the, the, the sense of the, the song, the feelings you have associated with the song, do you feel like it's with you even when you're writing about, you know, really coming into your own and like, or does it feel very much like a far move? Like no, it's not. I, I, I I come back to cut my hair at least every you know couple of months. I have to. It, it sort of resets me. <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, a lot of these feelings that still exist inside of me, um, but but live more comfortably there. I mean, my son's twelve, so he's a little bit older than me when I you know, first heard the song, and and uh, you know, I'm listening to some of the lines and thinking about some of the lines in that song, and you know, it's him to some degree too. I mean, he's you know this you know, mixed race kid who lives in the valley and, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he's struggling with a few of the same things as well. You know, so it's sort of, you know, the circle is not unbroken entirely. So, so that song still is is a guidepost for me, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, I I spent a lot of time trying to be really rigid about writing in this, you know, very, uh, simple blues form Mm -hmm. And, 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 and cut my hair is, it's storytelling in a, in a, in a, in a much bigger way. Yeah. Um, and so that writing of his, I've steered away from as a songwriter because I really like the, the, um, the self-imposed restrictions of writing in a blues form. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I, I can't imagine myself writing a song that's that multi-layered and expansive now. Um, but when I'm performing and when I'm singing, I feel a lot of Jimmy from cut my hair inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, that was great. Thank you. Man. Thank you oh, so much. Thanks, thanks for the, uh, the musical therapy. Yeah, you're welcome. We got to come, come together. Come together as one family. Huge thanks to the Reverend Sean Amos for sharing his story and his music. Right now you're hearing We've Got to Come Together from his latest album, the Reverend Sean Amos breaks it down. He calls them a collection of 21st century freedom songs. Sean released this album earlier this year, and you can get it at your local record store, stream it on Spotify, find it wherever you get your music. You can also follow Sean on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Rev Amos, and visit seanamos.com for tour dates and more info. I can't say that's enough, y'all. Support great musicians. 
Play It Back is hosted and produced by me, John Asante. Our theme music is composed by Darius Holbert. And our brand spanking new artwork is by Blake Day with inspiration from Al Rowland. Thank y'all so much. I love it, and I hope you guys do too. Okay, y'all, if you listen to a podcast, you know the drill by now. Subscribe to Play It Back on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you love the show and you want to help others find it, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Then go tell a friend to subscribe. Spread the word, y'all. And let's keep the conversation going online. Follow us on Facebook at Play It Back, on Twitter and Instagram at Play It Back Radio. Yes, we just started Instagram, so hop on that. We'll share updates and behind-the-scenes extras so you don't want to miss out. And you can find me on Facebook at John Asante, on Instagram at Old Man Asante, and Twitter at JKB Asante. I need to work on consistency, but uh, please bear with me for the meantime. Now, what would a music podcast be without a playlist? Listen to all the songs featured on the show on our Spotify playlist. Check the episode description for the link. And for more information about past episodes and guests on the show, visit playitbackradio.com. One last request, I promise, and I'll shut up. I want to hear from you. Do you have a story about a song that's had a big impact in your life? Got any feedback for the show? Let me know. Drop a line at playitbackradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.